Welcome to Learnful Show. Uh, I am Lowell, serial entrepreneur, startup advisor, and your host, as many people who have been tuning in should know by now. Every week we talk to scientists, leaders, experts, and uh, nerds of, of many different disciplines. And today we're joined with Stephanie Dano, if I'm saying the last name right, uh, ex- executive director of Lifespan, and has a really, really long rap sheet of a resume from what I could tell. So I'm gonna uh, you know, ask her to describe it in a minute, but uh, if you like this type of thing, hearing about people like Stephanie, you know, subscribe, like, you know, give me some feedback, because uh, uh, it's fun. Uh, welcome, Stephanie, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lowell. Really excited to be here and to to chat with your audience. Yeah, and then uh, so, and in, in, you're you're like I said, you have a pretty exhaustive background. You've been all over the place. When it comes to what you're doing now, what is some of the relevant experience that you think you you draw in a lot of? a really interesting question. So maybe I should start with saying what I do now, and then I can yeah. go backwards and explain how the things uh, kind of escalated to present day. So as executive director of Lifespan.io, basically that means that I am leading the charge on behalf of a nonprofit advocacy foundation. And so what we are advocating for is the accelerated progress uh, across rejuvenation science and longevity biotech. And endeavoring to end age-related diseases. So historically, people have these very deeply seated beliefs whereby you are born, you age, and this is natural and you die. And there has been not only an acceleration, but a convergence of exponential technologies. And because of that, there are new possibilities on the horizon as it relates to what's possible, especially with our health. You think about what life was like before antibiotics, before surgeons knew to use antibacterial. Um, The bottom line is that we are in the middle of a paradigm shift and there are scientists and researchers in the labs trying to understand and study what aging is, how it works and how to either prevent it, treat it, and possibly even reverse it if you are very ambitious and optimistic in terms of futures. Um, Our organization represents the entire field, whether that's investors, startup entrepreneurs, academics, you name it. And we are giving them an additional voice uh, because the general public is not aware that complex science is actually an opportunity for you and your family to maybe not suffer if you're experiencing an age-related disease like heart disease, Alzheimer's, sarcopenia. And so how did I get here? When I was in high school, I discovered Ray Kurzweil, who's a futurist who believes in what he calls is a theory of singularity, man and machine merging, technology transcending biology. Now, whether or not I agree with that doesn't matter. What really was exciting to me was the fact that he was thinking outside the box and thinking about possibilities. And I also wanted to really drive social change on a global scale. Uh, And I thought that the music industry many years ago really had that potential and that that influence and so i got into entertainment and i ended up in celebrity marketing uh, and then working with big media corporation and i realized i didn't it didn't resonate uh, to put consumer products in front of consumer faces i'm more b2b and i wanted bigger and so leveraging all the knowledge that i learned about how to work uh in business development as kind of like a fundamental theme across all these jobs 
and coming up with new opportunities to find ways to actually collaborate and generate not only revenue, but value. Uh, that's what I took with me. And when I decided I didn't wanna be around commercial products, I ended up getting my dream job at Singularity University and moved from New York to Silicon Valley. Ray Kurzweil, the, the futurist I mentioned, started Singularity University. And my job was to go to big corporations like Google, Pfizer, Becton Dixon, of all verticals, but my, my um, passion was healthcare and biotech and pharma, and basically say, look, you think that business yesterday is gonna be the same business as tomorrow. Well, because of these accelerating and converging technologies, you're gonna be disrupted by an industry that you're not even paying any attention to. And I can give a, a fun example later, but the bottom line is we would introduce them to the opportunities associated with these technologies and help them modify their business model so they still stay sustainable, but also be contributing to global good for the human population. And then it kind of transitioned into, you know, um, consulting deep tech startup entrepreneurs and helping them rethink the narrative that they're going to VCs with. And, uh, Essentially, the last part of like this kind of arc of a journey is a lot of strategy and ideation and everything I just mentioned. What about the execution? How do you bring these ideas actually to life? So I was working with a global corporation that focused on implementation and execution consulting. And uh, I worked with a pharma company and we would implement. And so, you know, all along, and I know we're, we're going on a long journey here, but there is a lot. And I want the listeners to understand the different touch points and all the different facets that contribute to where you are today and where you want to be. But my father was born in the 1930s. He had me in his 50s. He had heart disease. My entire life, I've been with parents with age-related diseases who are fearful of death. And also the last six months of his life were really rough. And if we can improve that situation just a little bit or give them a little bit more time he would have been around to see a startup that i was co-founding that was targeting age-related diseases using all the technology like robotics and machine learning ai and automation and we were specifically targeting what he was suffering from but he wasn't around to see that we actually got an offer for funding for that and so it's about these moments and we want to give people these moments and let them know, let the general public know, the masses know that longevity biotech is not science fiction. It does need more money. It needs more attention. It needs more discussion, but it is real. And what it can be is hard to digest and to think about. And we're trying to be here on behalf of Lifespan.io to make it a bit easier and educate and inform yeah the, the a lot of that is some of the things that drew me to you and want to have you on the show and that you have a very impressive track record you have a very kind of go mentality in terms of just how you speak the way you speak the way you structure your sentences even when i'm watching you uh for your interviews or for when you give a talk it's very detailed oriented person and i think i originally got to know lifespan about five years ago so it's interesting to see as it's evolved and now that you're in the seat for the last nine months i've been very curious what what is she going to do what is she going to do and recently i had lisa from Senzon, and she got me into reading tax returns for uh, nonprofits. <laughs> so i i read your guys' tax 90s? returns too yeah i read i read up Go to 2020 lisa. 
Yeah, I did. I couldn't find 2021 and 2022, but 2022 makes sense to me. But the the overarching trend that I saw was that it kind of peaked in like 2019 for for revenue uh, grants going out and that type of thing, and then it slowly started going down to 2020, and then there's like COVID and stuff. So maybe that makes sense. And so I'm generally curious, like what lifespan has so many things it can be a part of. Uh, I think in one of your talks at ending disease related illnesses uh, to list, yeah. yeah. To, to, to list them was uh, advocacy, crowdfunding, annual conferences, public engagement, education, digital marketing. And I think you expressed some hopes to do uh, a service for scientists that can just come to you when they're trying to do something so you can help translate it out. So there's there's a lot there. There's also an element of like when you are trying to execute something like uh, focusing down on what you're really, really great at. So I'm curious for a lifespan under your leadership, what are going to be those core focused things that you're going to be doing to have those large impacts for 2022, 2023 and beyond? Great question. And there's a lot there and shout out to Lisa for inspiring, you know, education, self-education in nine nineties. Um, yeah, they're fun. And yeah, Lowell, this is incredible that, you know, you've even dug this deep and you've picked up on these things and it makes me smile because it means people are paying attention and uh, I'm grateful for that. And because essentially what we're here to do is for the greater good. Um, so let me work my way backwards. What are our goals? My background is business development, business strategy, partnerships, thinking outside the box and finding new ways to generate value, like I mentioned. So we're looking to go much bigger partner with big organizations not only because they're big but because if they agree to work with us and they agree to work on the things that we want to work on with them it demonstrates an interest on behalf of a large established probably conservative old school entity that and, and it means that they're actually looking forward they want to improve they want to change they want to um they want to go on a journey with us. Uh, and when I say us, it's all of us. Um, and it also gives more awareness, um, more exposure and more credibility for what it's worth. Um, and so some of the things are potentially working with the US government, ideally with ARPA-H. If you're not familiar, look up DARPA. Uh, it's the new ARPA for health. and getting pro program managers into some of the roles that are available because it's more of moonshots focused on health and we have plenty of moonshots and they're more tangible than we think so that's one thing the second thing is working with um, international organizations that have more demographics than we may have and access to them and leveraging content educational inspirational awareness about the possibilities of longevity biotech in a consumer driven manner that seems organic and seamless and useful and tangible. Uh, and there's a lot more where that came from. We really want to start working with influencers and celebrities to change the dialogue and get people to think twice before they react to something that seems unfamiliar. Um, and I'll pause there because I can't say too much, but definitely subscribe to our newsletter on our website and stand by because there are big, big, big things coming in the next few months. 
and also our conference, we will be expanding into decentralized science as well. So it's going to be ending age-related diseases, EARD, which is our, our annual conference name. It's going to be longevity and decentralized science. We're bringing on a formal production company and we want to change the narrative. It can't just be people uh, self-promoting for the sake of fundraising. Everyone needs to do that, but we're here for a larger initiative, which is actually changing the narrative and making it making it digestible to the average person on the street. They need to understand the value of the science that's actually happening. Can you communicate what you're doing in the lab in a way that a five-year-old understands and gets excited about it? Because what you're doing is really, really important and interesting. And so sharing that enthusiasm in a way that kind of has this trickle-down effect. Um, and then people at their dinner table are saying, did you know that there's research that's happening that maybe could either prevent or treat Alzheimer's that grandma has. That would be a win, right? And that's advocacy. Mm -hmm. And I'll pause there. If there was another specific question you wanted me to answer, I'm happy to pivot. No, it sounds like you're focusing on bringing big partnerships in, building up life science in the, in the industry as a whole, making it more legitimate so that other people can take it more seriously. And at the same time, reaching down to raise people up as they're coming up through K through 12 and inspire them with a message of change while at the same time kind of giving them hope for, for most people in K through 12, like it's a very like sad time. Cause like it's, there was a K through 12 was designed for factory workers and it, we don't really have factory workers in the U S anymore. And so if we can, if you, it sounds like if you can get them at those ages and show them like, Hey, there's some really cool stuff you can be working on. They can focus on developing themselves in that direction versus just kind of like mindlessly taking tests and that type of thing. So that's, that's how I would, so you're working on projects, bring people in and education is like the three pillars that I, that I heard there, there might've been more, but I'm like aggregating them into three giant things. Yeah. And there is more. And even if it's not on our behalf, you know, deduplicating initiatives and making connections to other people in the industry with one another to create coursework or to you know uh, create student groups in colleges that would also pressure the introduction of a formal accredited um, course that they could take or you know now there's teens that are creating opportunities to get involved and maybe that will go backwards to k through 12 but the conversations are happening. People are curious and we want to enable and um, set them up for success and give them a place where there are resources available to one, not only learn, but also to communicate effectively. We have a page on our website that's dedicated to misconceptions and how to even respond to them. You know, um, there are crowdfunding opportunities whereby we are promoting early stage research that needs attention and needs funding. And if we are successful with that, it de-risks a future investment opportunity. They just go to the VCs and they're like, look, we've demonstrated success already. This is a slam dunk. The people want it. Um, and there's a lot more. Uh, you know, If you donate to us, you get special access to our journal club where Monthly, we walk through uh, an actual scientific paper and answer questions for you with one of our board members who is a, a professor at a university in New York. And we also have a small internal research program where we are creating a non-pharmacological remediation device for Alzheimer's that could turn into the first official decentralized clinical trial. 
And so we're having conversations with people across the board in different industries to try and collaborate and accelerate the progress and also enable people with skill sets and tools and resources to have their own conversations and do the same. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. Are you like stressed out at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are you managing the stress? You know, it's actually, I wouldn't even say it's stress. Uh, stress, I think, is when you're not sure how to move forward and you're not sure mm. what to do. I know what needs to be done. I know how to move forward. It's a matter of bandwidth and pace. Um, and right now, you know, you talked about our 990. We, COVID was difficult for fundraising. A lot of nonprofits closed their doors um, and we are operating on an extremely tight budget. And for mm -hmm. what the, for that tight budget, the amount of things that we're actually doing and producing is incredible. Uh, and we want to scale now and we have all these opportunities and infrastructure. We just need some more money. So <clears throat> I think if you want to say stress is a factor in my day to day, it's just a matter of balancing not only the conversations to drive these collaborations and then executing them on them, but also fundraising in parallel. Um, and so if you are interested in what we're doing and you want to support, please don't hesitate to reach out, donate, um, give us your ideas, give us your feedback. But uh, we're really taking the organization to another level and we expect it to pay out in dividends for the entire industry and people across mm -hmm. the board. There's a local, there's a city near where I live, which I will not name because the internet is full of uh, bad people sometimes, but the, there's a series of nonprofits that work, I would think in similar ways, like the, there's overlap between what they do, but the, they, when they go to do an event, they, they've all kind of specialized on different aspects of what they do. So there's one that's really good at infrastructure uh, in terms of like setting up or whatever. There's one that's really good at education, but they can, they can do it. Everyone can do everything, but when they work together, they all focus on what they're really, really great at. So for like research and projects, that would probably like the example would be like sense in this industry. And, but at the same time, you guys have the crowdsourcing aspect. And I think the last crowdsourcing one outside of the recurring one that's going on monthly is the, from 2021. And there's about like 10 that you've done. Uh, which is significant considering without the platform, there wouldn't be 10 at all. Um, so I always wonder to what extent you can specialize while also be in general. At, um, and then to what extent you can specialize with other organizations like SENS, et cetera, so that you can maximize everyone's special, special, special specialization. There you go. Uh, so like uh, you work with SENS when it comes to research stuff, you work with you guys for, um, well, I guess uh, the longevity fellowship the new one that was last step, like that could be like education because they're working on education too. So um, like a bunch of partnerships and stuff like that. Uh, how, how do you see specialization while working with other nonprofits in the field to, to raise it up working? Great question. Let me do my best to answer this. So the mission of our organization is like I mentioned, you know, target age related diseases accelerate progress across the industry using strategic media initiatives across the board. Mm. So we have news, we have education, we have video, we have print, we have conferences, we have um, collaborations, and we have reach. I think that's the biggest thing. We've been around a very long time and we're probably the, the most established organization of our kind that represents the field and also provides information about the field. And 
last month alone, we had 500,000 people trafficking on our website. And that was double from the month before. So it's growing. And we have multiple social media platforms that represent different YouTube channels, shows, uh, programs. And each of them have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers. We have a YouTube channel called Life Noggin that has 3 million plus subscribers. And so what we do with this reach is one, we educate them, but we also leverage the access for the industry. So for example, Mm -hmm. we work with Sens and we did a six series video program and we talk through all the different hallmarks of aging and converted it into an animated series that makes it digestible and fun format wise. Um, And so we provide the media and promotional support there with Longevity Biotech Fellowship. You know, I will go there and I'll speak and Longevity Biotech, which fellowship, which formerly was less death, their mission, one of the, the main ones is to pivot talent. So specifically and initially, let's say it's engineers and scientists that may not be in the longevity field to give them a, a, an actual direct uh, trajectory to get into the longevity field and leverage their skill sets to help this cause. Uh, and so going there and talking about effective communication and understanding what their misconceptions might be. I remember there was a gentleman that I met once and he was at that at that event for Longevity Biotech Fellowship and he said, my family you know, thinks I'm crazy for even being here right now. They don't believe in this stuff and it's hard. And he said, well, what do I do? And I said, you know, there are different series of things you can do. You can look up the resources on, you know, how to respond to these kinds of things. You can show them that there's scientific um, uh, efficacy behind some of these studies or all the studies that we promote for that matter. So there's there, we're just trying to support the community and community building. Mm-hmm. So I think with LBF, it's community building. With Sens, for example, it was media and video production and and um, and promotion. And so I think the the specialization is leveraging media yeah. and leveraging narrative and making complex science digestible and useful and providing advocacy and building advocacy. When we get to more general, I think it's just who we're targeting and it's everybody. And that becomes complicated. However, our different programs and different channels have different demographics and they're Mm -hmm. skewed differently with different formats and different levels of complexity of science to meet the needs of those specific populations. And we have this educational funnel. You start at the top, maybe you don't know much at all, and we pique your interest a bit. And if you're interested in, in diving deeper into the science, you go to this next channel and it's formatted differently and it's focused on more scientific stuff. And then you keep moving through. And then eventually, if you find that you want to be a true advocate, you join the community and you start contributing directly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're the you're, it sounds like you guys are like the fighters. You, you go. Um... You, you go out there and you get people excited and you bring them in and you channel them to the right places. So it's, um, it's a really powerful thing that you guys are doing. When you, when you look to the past, I don't know, this depends on how you, how you source information to then build ideas for planning moving forward, uh, which is an assumption, but uh, are, do you look at any news or PR or media group that has been successful and uh, you know, beg, borrow, steal to how they achieved it and then move it into the model of longevity so that you can have like a, 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 a 
at least like an n larger than one in terms of how it's done so you can like you know grab from other people that type of thing yeah, other questions. groups basically who've done what you've done that you're stealing from i'm, I'm kind of thinking of like richard murdoch but he's not like a good person to, to emulate well what if i reframe this as maybe it's not an organization maybe it's a movement itself so let's mm. talk about cancer in the past it used to be considered a pariah disease nobody talked about it it was under the rug people were uncomfortable they and that also represented what was happening in the labs maybe it wasn't being actually targeted head on because it was so taboo and again i don't quote me on this but the nature the, the reality is that it was considered a pariah disease and now it's considered a global priority with an enormous amount of funding and support and ag advocacy behind it. So then the question becomes, what happened? And so there's mm -hmm. a book called The Emperor of All Maladies, which describes the full history of cancer. And it turns out that the, the true nature of that transition is rooted in media, strategic media initiatives, advocacy, crowdfunding. And so back then, Mary Lasker was able to get on national television, public television, and she she leveraged these narratives. And basically, there was well, I don't want to tell the whole, whole story right now. You guys can look it up. But the bottom line is back then, if everyone put the TV on, they're all watching the same thing. You had the full attention of of the entire population. Yeah, there's like three channels. Now it is extremely saturated and people have very short attention spans and you're lucky if you can get in front of them. And if you do, how do you maintain that attention? You need to know who your audience is. And this doesn't just go for us. This goes for everybody and everything they're doing. If you are pitching to a VC and you say, I'm going to save the world with my idea. That's great. But how does it actually serve the VC's needs as well? If you have an idea and you want to go work at ARPA H, the way you frame your idea has to meet the criteria that ARPA-H is looking for, despite how good your idea is. And so there's skill sets around, you know, modifying the narrative. And so it's about communicating effectively and understanding what your audience is looking for. And mm -hmm. so I think from that perspective, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand who we're speaking to, what's going to capture their attention, what's going to make them be more interested and maybe shift a mindset or a behavior, get a donation, get somebody to like one of our videos um, on Life Noggin actually uh, generated multiple investor outreach to us, basically saying this video inspired me to invest in a startup through your investor network. We have a longevity investor network where we connect startup entrepreneurs and investors. And that's a huge win, huge. And this is just the beginning. So I hope that gives some context. It does. Uh, I, I can clearly picture where you're going with it. I, I read Emperor of All Maladies and I my stomach was uneasy the entire time. I was I mm -hmm. just kept picturing everyone I know and love dying, dying from cancer. I was like, I hate this. Uh, but there's some hope there too. So some of the stories in there are, are uh, intense, what people used to have to do like 2,000 years ago. I'm thinking of like a specific female uh, le leader uh, who was like pretty badass in terms of what, what she had to do. So I'm glad that we have uh, precision technology and stuff like that to help people now. Uh, that does sound like a pretty, so it sounds from what we're hearing to use that as an analogy, it does sound like the last nine months I imagine is about building out the foundation, the, the partnerships, everything is in place. 
you're specializing the different channels to not even just length but also the type of content that the different age groups and brackets that you're uh, identifying to target um so you're building out the foundation to really push hard for 2023 or, or you're finishing out the the foundation for 2023 right now and then you're going to push hard moving forward if i'm like understanding you right that's that's kind of where we're at. big time yeah. um i think the biggest the biggest thing is fundraising right now we mm -hmm. have a lot of things in place we are tweaking we are improving we are learning and we are collaborating even more and it's just a matter of bandwidth and having certain ex certain level of expertise uh join us so once we get some fundraising we'll bring in a few key people and honestly there's so much opportunity and I feel really confident about this. I feel confident about the industry. You know, it is becoming more mainstream very slowly, but we still have a lot of work to do. And even when it's mainstream, we still haven't hit the mission yet because people are still suffering from the age related diseases. So we've still got plenty of battles ahead of us and we need everyone to come together and support each other. But yeah, we've, we've really, um, it is a paradigm shift, not only for us as a population, but for Lifespan.io as an organization right now. That's super exciting. Is, this, is the centerpiece for that fundraising initiative the conference itself, or do you have, like, how do you think about that? Actually, no. Um, hmm. Because we're a nonprofit, and first, let me just say yeah. some things about that. Uh, 501c3, we can't commercialize, right? So we, we mm -hmm. can't, first of all, we don't sell and we don't promote products we are not influenced by government or commercial means. And so when you go to our website, you're not gonna see us promoting specific supplements or treatments or this or that. We're gonna be giving you news so you can be well-informed and make your own informed decisions. Secondarily, as a nonprofit, we have to get most of our, our revenue from, from donations. Um, some of them can be big donors, but a lot of them also have to be the general public. And there are certain ratios of the types of donations that you can get. So if I wanted to commercialize something and sell a service, the IRS sees it as you're taking business away from a for-profit and then you'll lose your nonprofit status. So we have to take mm -hmm. a bit of a different approach. And so ticket sales, you know, and, and sponsorships are helpful for the conference, but we're not trying to make a profit. We're trying to have an impact. And so a lot of our revenue or, or fundraising would come from big donors, um, philanthropists, uh, grant agencies, and the public. And we also have sponsorships for a life noggin video, which help uh, and also get the word out about other organizations that are trying to create some more exposure for themselves. But it really does come down to the people. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking specifically about a year or so ago, they're not doing it this year, which makes me deeply sad, but New Harvest, that's a cellular agriculture uh, group that helps people do cellular agriculture related things. It's kind of like what you guys are doing, but for that industry. And they had this really great conference. And last year they spoke about how, you know, there's like recession and all these people pulling funding, like pretty significantly. And over the course of like 20 minutes, they raised a million and a half dollars from everyone in the audience and people online just saying, hey, we need funding. And so that's more or less what I'm thinking about in terms of the conference being a, a vehicle to bring people together and get all their focus where you want it to be. And you can have like one, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know your age group or anything, but when I was a, a kid, they used to do this thing. There's much more adult examples I can use, but I think this is just fun, but they would, they would have like a blood drive type stuff 
where they'd have like a giant uh, thermometer. And then as people get gave different, you know, help people get different pints of blood, it would slowly fill up until they met the goal of like saving X amount of lives. And so uh, I always wonder to what extent uh, people can do that type of thing because New Harvest completely accidentally just started talking and before she could finish her sentence, like people just started throwing money out. And a lot of people were doing like, you know, matching funds, which I, I personally like when big do- donors do that because then people feel like they're doubling their money every time they put a dollar and stuff like that. Um, is that possible under uh, your structure or like when you were saying that there's like making profit and stuff like that, I, I just want to make sure I understand it. Is that something you can or cannot do or like how do you think about that? Well, is the question, are we able to leverage, for example, our conference and get up on stage and say, hey, everybody, please donate to us? Or did I miss yes, something? the first? Yeah. Can, yeah. Can, can you do that? Because that's 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 more in line with what I was thinking versus like ticket sales and that type of thing. We probably could. Um you know i'm used to selling services in exchange for compensation we provide a value it's transactional and everybody Mm -hmm. wins and a lot of people when we go and we say hey we're fundraising you know would you like to donate they say look the donation allocation that i have is meant for early stage research and science and i understand that um and and also you know the economy is rough right now and people especially in the last year you know funds have been depleted. And like I said, a lot of nonprofits have closed their doors. Um, We've been very fortunate. But what I would say in response to something like that is, let me show you how a dollar into early stage science or research creates this incremental progress that we're seeing and that we're used to. But a second dollar in parallel that goes into advocacy for that science and research that you're also funding can create a lot of more momentum, visibility, and it's a compounding effect. And that's what we're looking for. And so we're trying to aggregate data and actually show what that looks like. And I'm more of a, you know, demonstrate the value before asking for something. And uh, so maybe on stage, I'll be able to say, here are some statistics, but um, it's something to think about. I'm open to it. Yeah, the one organization, I may have emailed you this, so I, hopefully I'm not treading over a uh, uh, well-worn uh, lander, trails wherever the, the saying goes, but the, um, there's one place called Hereford International, so that when they raise funds and they have matching, they, they literally say like every like $10 is like a, a like a pair of chickens to like a person in Africa, and then they show like what significance that is. So as like you meet different mile markers for what you want for the year, kind of like make, it reverses what a kick, Kickstarter does or what a crowdsourcing does. Uh, but then makes it for your organization so people can see like as they get closer to different milestones uh, there's some people that they'll be in the middle of a conversation or they'll be in the middle of life they think oh I'll, I'll donate and then they think well i can just do it tomorrow i can just do it tomorrow i can just do it tomorrow i can just do it. 365 more days go by then they never donate because they just get sidetracked versus if there's something like causing them to flip over and see that if i donate now like there's a larger uh return that i can get for the community that i care so much about um, but it's definitely something to explore and uh, experiment with, but it, it, I mean, it's, there's, like you said earlier, it's a bandwidth issue. So there, um, only so many hours in a day. I'm curious well, we, when it comes, uh, go ahead. Uh, we are actually working to, you know, not just aggregate the data so I can say it as a one-off to people, but there, we will be building out, um, a mechanism on the website that kind of has a live tracker that should demonstrate some of that, some of those insights that you mentioned. So stand by for that. Sweet. And thank you for the How, idea. Yes, if it if it works, 
Yeah, uh, I don't want any of the credit. Anyway, so I was going to say if it doesn't work, you can blame me, but I said it backwards. <laughs> how, how how has the potential recession, specifically bank closings, affected uh, lifespan and the community as a whole? So, I mean, this is a relatively recent thing. I think like the last week and a half, Silicon the Silicon Valley Bank, I think, is closing down. People are kind of salty about it, but I think it's I think it'll restructure fine. But uh, how do you, how is it affecting uh, your life? Um, luckily we're not directly impacted and I definitely feel for everyone who is, it's really rough news. Um, and, uh, honestly, I want to be able to say genuinely, if there is a way we can help, we'd love to try, but getting back to your question, um, there are some administrative and bureaucratic things that we have to do on the back end um, for some of the organizations uh, that we're working with for logistical reasons that say, well, you know, we may be associated with Silicon Valley Bank, so you need to do X and Y. So just check checkbox stuff. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, and before the, the bank situation, people have... Uh, consistent donors have said, you know, I need to pull back right now. I'm sorry, I can't support you the way that I have. The economic situation is is personally not, you know, uh, setting me up for success to be able to give you what I'm used to giving you. So we are feeling it. Um, We're trying to cut back on certain expenses. Um, People are the absolute last thing, so we haven't touched that yet. But you know, and that also means reframing strategy and really thinking through where is the how what is the most effective way that we can deploy donor dollars. And um, like I mentioned before, we are operating on an extremely tight budget, and what we're what we're actually um, producing, we're punching above our weight big time. So I'm really proud of the team and the community for supporting us, so we can actually do that. Uh, and really, it's a matter of, well, if we have a bit more, just check us out. We're going to do a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it surprised me. I always, uh, when I was started, I've, I've been like pulling everyone's tax returns now. <laughs> it's like the last it's couple fun, of days. Right? Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, this is neat. Uh, yeah, I would have thought you guys had, you know, a much higher budget. I don't know to the extent people care or not, but it, it's, it's, it's uh, from 2022. It's, it's less than a million, which is significant given all that you're doing. Um, yeah. uh, I was trying to pull the uh longevity alliance one that just started a longevity caucus i was trying to find their uh tax returns, I could... yes i was trying to find it but they didn't have it on their website so i'll probably have to uh email dylan or, or try to find a way to get it but um but it's actually weirdly fun but i don't know i'm kind of a weird uh math guy like that do you do you get analytical in terms of i knew a person who could look at an outcome and then he could do he well there was a guy and a girl who could do this i don't know how they did it uh i should have asked but they math out the probability of the lower and higher bands of something happening and then they move their team to basically the the middle of it so then it's it's like slightly achievable i think uh hewlett packer used to do that for their sales team like their their quotas per month were really really low so people could achieve them and feel good about it do you calculate that when you make plans you make uh when you bring it to your team do you calculate in that similar way or how do you formulate your plans is it intuition based i imagine there's to an extent uh, pulling from your own past, your own experience, what you can glean from other people. But I'm I'm generally curious when you think about this is like a meta question. When you think about making a plan, uh, how do you think about making a plan? That's like a very meta, weird thing. But I'm always wondering how people make decisions. 
Yeah. I think part of it is intuition and it takes a while to actually trust your intuition. And that comes with time and experience. Um, and I think, you know, exposure to a diverse number of jobs and industries helps and different management styles and bosses and seeing definitely what, what doesn't work right. Um, and secondarily, you know, I still operate on the belief that collaboration is key. And if you're the smartest person in the room, leave. And I don't want to be that person. Um, I rely on my team to also educate me. And so before we start a plan, there's a lot of questions asked. We talk about, well, what has worked historically? What hasn't? But most importantly, why? And what is our level of confidence in going down route A, B, or C? And what are the KPIs we want to put next to them? What's the timeline mm -hmm. that we want to um, attach to that based on all the other things that we're doing? How do we evaluate priorities? So there's a lot of discussion. There is also a lot of trial and error. A lot of things that we have done or that we're trying to do aren't practiced regularly by many. Um, even on YouTube, just as a tangible example, I feel like there's an algorithm that we're trying to chase and the bullseye keeps moving. And how much experimentation do we want to do in the hopes that we catch up with the bullseye that's going to continue to move? And do we just do our best or do we cut the program or, you know, is there enough value that justifies the mission and the expense of people, time, resources, effort. Um, so I, I think to answer your question as simply as possible, thinking about every aspect of the, the idea in mind and playing devil's advocate. What happens if it doesn't go right? And what are the different scenarios where it doesn't go right? And what can we learn up front so that we are prepared and setting ourselves up for success? That makes sense. It's the Washington approach of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. Uh, hopefully you don't have a Hamilton and Jefferson <laughs> on your team who keep riding each other in the public. Uh, that would be a great musical in a couple hundred years, <laughs> depending on how things go. But, um, well, you're uh, wonderful. You're wonderful. Uh, yeah. So the uh, I, I, I am curious, when it comes to the big partnerships, are is there... If it's possible to name one, it's if, if we need to be general, that's fine too, because I don't want to like get you in a situation where you mention someone and whatever. But is there a big holdout that has been saying that has given you the impression that they don't think longevity is a serious thing that could have a big effect on people's lives? And if and you're you're actually working to alleviate those concerns, like so, there was a friend of mine who uh, uh, I think this might be public knowledge now, but I'm going to be circumspect in case I'm not allowed to say this. So they they worked out a deal with Roche. And the way it worked was at first Rush was saying, no, you're just a little whatever. We're not going to listen to you. So then he started asking questions to understand what they needed to see to make it work, both on an institutional level, but also as the individual that they were, uh, he was in point of contact with. Because ultimately people, every organization is just a bunch of people working. So when people say like, oh, Roche doesn't want to work with me, it's like, no, the person you talk to at Roche doesn't want to work with you. And their bosses above them won't allow them to work with you potentially. So then is there a said organization that's large that you're currently working on? And what are some of their concerns that you're actually working to alleviate? If you can talk about this, if, if it's like one of those, like a couple months later, I, I can transition to a different topic. It's interesting. I don't see much pushback 
with the partnerships that are actually moving forward right now. Um, it's, it, it, it's very interesting because historically, like when I worked at Singularity University, you know, we would talk to one department and even if they were bought in, they had to sell the idea up a level and we mm -hmm. had to enable them to do that. And it was a process. Um, I've learned to qualify opportunities. Um, and I look for people who are bought in already. And mm. those are the easy wins, the low hanging fruit where everyone's aligned and we want to make good work happen. Um, I think down the line, I would like to challenge us uh, more and try and target organizations that are a bit more skeptical. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually, <laughs> it's, I haven't actually thought about it, but we, we don't have uh, a lot of pushback right now. Mm. People are really excited about this, but we've also, you know, qualified them really well. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. And we can speak so again in a few months and I can say a lot more. Yeah. How do you differentiate real yeses from false yeses? And how do you differentiate a no from not yet when you're talking to people? Hmm. You know, I think I know this intuitively, but I actually haven't said it out loud. So give me a second here. But um, I think it also has to do with the discovery process. And now we're kind of getting into sales and business development tactics. I assume that's the direction you want me to go in right now. Yes, I'm trying yep. to uh, open up your head and take your knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but in a um, fun way. Yeah, no, this is great. This is really interesting. And I hope that it, it actually is useful and some people can experiment with what I'm about to say. So mm -hmm. when I coach others, um, especially about getting somebody on board with an idea you have, because I'm not used to selling products, I'm used to selling services and ideas. And typically that's hard because it might not be tangible, um, at least in the beginning. And you don't start with saying, hey, here's my store. I have all these things on the menu. What do you want, right? people get overwhelmed with options and choices and oftentimes they don't know what they want. I mean, you give me a menu at a restaurant and it's terrible. I have no idea. Right. Um, however, if you approach the conversation a bit differently and you learn about their drivers and their motivations, why are you doing the job that you're doing? What is important to you? What does your success look like? And then you start pivoting into, well, what are your current pain points? What are your challenges? Because if you can identify and unlock what their issues are, it makes any sell of any idea a lot easier, right? Because then you mm -hmm. tailor what's in your store specifically to what they're lacking. And it's kind of like puzzle pieces that fit together or a, a key going in a lock. And it makes the conversation easier. And um, I also find it, you know, some people at first are like this, this feels, you know, not so genuine, but realistically, you have a, a more, you have a real conversation because it's not fluff. You actually are understanding what they're going through day to day and what is important to them. And when you can solve somebody's problem or make it better, that feels good. 
And so I think in that process, you start to uncover, you know, genuine reactions to ideas that you propose. And that's when you see what a real yes is versus a maybe or a true no versus a not yet. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. The and so and the one other thing I'd say is it, it kind of ties back into what I was saying earlier, know your audience, but how do you know your audience? You have to ask them questions. We're used to making a lot of assumptions. Um, and, you know, we have to sometimes get uncomfortable um, to find true meaning. And you can use that in business. Yeah, I think so, uh, sometimes people, uh, go ahead. It just, it also, I mean, I, I just want to, the one thing is I never want people to feel like, well, that's kind of manipulative, but if you're doing it with a genuine approach, it, it feels good. It feels like you're doing a good job and that you're actually helping somebody and it makes the process easier and more enjoyable. You know, uh, the way I perceive it is that, I mean, every, every communication, I guess, is some form of manipulation, but, uh, I think in what you're talking about, it's the same way that I would go about doing sales and business development. And it's not, so there's one where it's like a used car salesman someone could imagine where you just have to go up there and it's like sales is convincing this person, this is, they need the shiny apple or, or the new Toyota or whatever. And that's not how it is. It's what, how you're describing it. If you, well, you can do that, but I feel like you're going to waste so much of your time and it sucks. That's very evil manipulative and how people like, just like kind of grind people down. Um, what you're talking about is more, ascertaining what their actual needs are and then figuring out is this something that i actually can help them with often if my friends and i like if a friend of mine is having like trying to ideate on a new idea i tell them just call up 100 people that most likely have a problem have the problem that you're trying to solve and tell them your tell them hey i i think this is a problem you're having this is probably my solution to it and just see what they say and now if they're like if they don't seem to care say all right i appreciate your time and just go about your day you know if they spend the next 45 minutes telling you how badly they need that solution then you might have something there and then they can be your first customer and stuff like that. So I, I see it as a very uh, positive thing in that you're listening actively to what someone wants and needs and are filling that need, which then makes them prosper and do well. And your initiatives prosper at the same time. I think both are rising in that scenario. Uh, but at the same time, I understand when people talk about sales and stuff like that, there is that use cross salesman type look that people see. And when people go, when they're trying to do sales and stuff like, to that extent uh, for the first time, they think they need to be that when in reality, all they need to be is actually curious about the person that they're trying to help and the problems that they're going through. And it usually works out for the best and be themselves. Yeah. They're true yeah. selves. Be yourself. It's fun. Yeah. And I think that there's one other piece there, which is, um, building trust early on, because oftentimes you're just going to get people that react and say, I'm not even going to talk to you about this. Right. And then there's lost opportunities there to really uncover what's there. Um, and that's not easy and it takes practice. Yeah. I think one of the worst sales salespeople I've ever seen is the, his name is Grant Cart Cardone and he sells real estate and he talks about how to do sales and he like will videotape himself doing sales. And it's like, if someone called me talking this way, I would pause and then take out like a really loud noise and then make them, like, don't do this. It's so obnoxious of a thing to do. Um, but for people who are out there trying to do stuff, one of the one of the fan questions, actually, one of the listener questions, they're asking about, I'll say their name, uh, 
War and Peace. I was reading War and Peace. Uh, we were having audio problems in the beginning, and I started reading War and Peace to uh, make sure uh, Stephanie could hear me. But anyway, so the person's name is War and Peace. Uh, uh, so that's kind of funny how that worked out. But they were wondering about different ways they can get involved that isn't like monetarily uh, contributing. Like, is there like some form of volunteering other than clicking and that type of thing? Because uh, people want to be involved. They want to be a part of things. And so one thing that many people could potentially do is they help, um, you know, talk to other people and listen and hear what their problems are and then aggregate it back to you guys. But what are, uh, that's like me trying to take a stab at a transition here. What are some uh, non give you guys 10 bucks uh, ways to help out lifespan specifically um, that yeah. people listen in very much want to do? Was it Warren Cheese? Is that what it was? G E E S E. G's? Well, thank you for, for the question. Um, yeah, there are a couple of things. And it also, I think my answer will tie into what we were just talking about as well. So, number one, share the content. If it is compelling to you, talk about it with people, push it out. If you like, like, there's so much content that we have in all different formats use your voice you know you have a much more powerful voice than many of you think you do um and and just start generating more conversation whether it's with you directly or with others second of all oftentimes people always reach out and they're like what can i do and what happens and i'll tell you a little anecdote about myself maybe like 10 15 years ago I struggled to um, articulate my own value. And I'd go to an HR department and I'd say, I can do this and this and this and this. And finally, one day I got lucky. It was, it was rough, but I got lucky. And the HR rep basically said, that's awesome, but I don't know what to do with you. I need to check boxes and you're not making my job mm. easier because now I have to expend mental energy and try and figure out how to slot you into something. Now, granted, I personally don't love bucketing. You know, I, I like generalists who can think in different contexts. Um, and there's a place for experts as well. But I was never that I was a generalist. And so what I learned is that, again, same theme, know your audience, what are they looking for? So if someone is saying, Hey, I'd like to volunteer and help you. Here are the things that I could do. I've looked at your website, I could see maybe you need some social media work here's what I've done with social media. I've done community building and community engagement. I'm good at creating um, thumbnails for videos, or I'm really good at putting copy together that's creative and engaging. Um, these are my skill sets. This is my value. The skill set translates to tangible value. Would this be interesting to you? Right? And they're asking me questions about what do I need versus here's my resume. What can I do? What, what, what you figure out what I can do for you, right? Propose something. And it also gives you, you know, a voice. You're advocating for yourself and for what you believe in. And it makes it a lot easier to just say, perfect, let's slot you in. So we do need volunteers. We have a public discord that, you know, we have moderators on if that's your jam join us there and I can introduce you to someone that can bring you on board. If you are really amazing at social media, we'd love to hear your ideas and use your strategy. If you want to help with our conference and be on site, check people in, work with the production team, that's an opportunity too. If you want to interview people and you have camera equipment, 
you know, honestly, the world is your oyster. If you can come up with a creative solution that is turnkey, that you can demonstrate works or at least test the theory and then show us that, wow, this is huge value, not just for you, for the mission, for the entire community. I'll, I'll sign off. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. I think sometimes people feel like sometimes people struggle to realize that they have value, that they have something unique that they can bring to the table. And so then they look at other people and what they've done and they just copy what someone else is doing. And so anyone listening in that's thinking of the different ways that they can contribute, you know, take these suggestions that Stephanie is saying and then apply it to yourself. Like what things do you enjoy doing, actually enjoy doing? And it can be the simplest things. Maybe there's someone out there who's like really into crocheting and you could like crochet little molecules of longevity stuff that people are working on. You know, there's different ways that you can find that'll bring value to people. And so it, it, at first, like, I think people should, if, if anyone's struggling to think like, what am I good at and stuff like that? Uh, everyone's usually good at something. They just don't know what they're good at. Like, I think even like generalists have something that they usually specialize down into, uh, like a class in games. But uh, if, if if you are struggling with that, I recommend checking out Walter Isaacson's book on Ben Franklin and basically just copying the first four or five chapters that Ben Franklin's dad did to him and just try a bunch of bunch of stuff and and uh, see how far you can get. And even if like, let's say you wanted to, let's say you've never done a video production, for instance, you could take one of the articles that uh, Life's, Lifespan's done and make it into a video and, you know, edit it up and all that stuff like DaVinci is free. Uh, I think even like uh, people do entire TikToks just in the app itself. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can experiment and see what type of things that you enjoy. Um, so anyone out there who who does that, let me know because I always I'm very curious uh, who gets galvanized from these things. Yeah, and you know what? It's uh, to also um, just dig in a little bit deeper. It's not even just the creative side of things. It's a technical mm -hmm. side on the back end too. If you know about algorithms, if you know about data analysis, and you know survey creation techniques and you tell me like there are plenty of opportunities there are plenty of things we want to do and we need support so it doesn't matter what it is and I think the hardest thing would be you know you mentioned Lowell what if people don't know what they're good at it's it's not even that it's also recognizing that you are good at something so yeah. what do you do a lot of and whether or not you think it's good someone else probably will so yeah, give yourself when you a shot go... yeah sorry no please <laughs> no give yourself a shot is what you're saying did you have, did you have a follow-up after that no just just take a shot you know you yes. got nothing to lose and then uh when we were talking about emails and like how to set them up so that it's easier for the person to consider you if you if you write the email and give it a day and then relook at it at, from that person's point of view and try and monitor your energy levels as you're reading it and keep an eye on how many decisions that you're requiring them to make. And if you can make them make as few decisions as possible and mentally take as little energy as possible, the person you're emailing is probably going to like you a lot more, just as like a little tip. Uh, I do that all the time and people respond to me for some reason. So um, for 2023, we've kind of talked uh, around this a little bit, but uh, in, in detail, what are some of the metrics for success that you're uh, shooting for? Um, what's the fundraising goal? What are your, uh, how many views do you want? You know, that type of thing. Like in terms of the things that you care about, what are you tracking? And <clears throat> yeah. So I would say fundraising two to 3 million would be 
really great. Uh, I would say views, you know, keeping <clears throat> the website, the news traffic uh, in the multi hundred thousand range monthly. Um, increasing engagement on different channels uh, by enhancing the content and the engagement and changing some of the formats which we're playing around with right now. Um, oh, it's the first time I'm saying um. Good question, Lowell. I, I know I beat myself up for saying ums. <laughs> so you're, you're doing great. I usually don't. Uh, so I think also seeing more headlines in established news outlets that are not specialized like ours talking about longevity and biotech um, and seeing it more mainstream more celebrities talking about it seeing courses pop up in universities uh, more funding and there are a lot of organizations and people in the field that are tracking those statistics and kind of the financial side of the industry and the growth trajectory over time and comparing it to other industries and other focus areas. And right now the longevity biotech community and rejuvenation science is getting minuscule amounts of funding compared to many other um, uh, organizations and industries. And I think the fact that aging is not classified as a disease by the FDA doesn't necessarily help. Um, and so just seeing progress accelerated, more people talking about it, that would be a huge win in the near term. I think I was, when it comes to the power of labeling, I think I was reading once that homosexuality was originally considered a disease in the DSM IV, like basically the, the, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Psychologists. And when they removed it from being an illness, perceived as an illness, a lot of change happened after that i was i don't know i was reading an article and stuff about that so just in terms of labeling things labeling matters and so it being labeled accordingly can get people more excited for it and probably more funding it's easier to get funding if something's actually labeled as as as, as important um now i'm hypersensitive to my ums <laughs> I, I mean i agree with you and there are pros and cons to labels and not having labels um and also the fact that lifespan is you know building out uh, their focus into decentralized science as it relates to all of this, you know, we're, we're trying to find alternatives, not to go around, um, you know, existing structure, but to explore what's possible. Like I told you I was interested in uh, when I discovered Ray Kurzweil on my LinkedIn profile, it says reimagining what's possible. Um, and so, you know, it's not that one way is bad or good. It's how you look at it. It's gray. And what do you do with that? Yeah. When it comes to decentralized science and blockchain in general, are you concerned that you'll have to do more work with like these FBX fraud people kind of pushing it down? Or do you think it's just going to be more box checking on the back end, proving that the systems and projects you have in place are up to a higher code to make sure that type of stuff doesn't happen. I actually think uh, our president and founder, Keith Camito, would probably be the best person to speak to this. Um, hmm. However, what I can say is that the decentralized uh, clinical trial 
is an ideal future that we'd like to explore, which does require a mixture of the two aspects that you're just talking about. But beyond that, I think it's also building new infrastructure and tools that enable um, novel philanthropic uh, capabilities. So I don't know how much support we need if I've interpreted your correction, uh, if I've interpreted your question correctly. Um, come back to me on that one or, or, or pitch Keith. Yeah. The, at the Reju Rejuvenation Startup Summit of 2022, someone in the fan, uh, stands asked you about the tomato effect and mm -hmm. then you were going to follow up with them. I wrote down, what is that? I Googled it, but I am generally curious. What was that person referring to with the tomato effect? Oh man, he pulled me aside right after and he told me that there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, I think it had to do with uh, people believing something about a tomato that was not true. And it's just a matter of framing to change someone's mindset. I, I Maybe they thought it was dangerous and it that's obviously not the case, something along those lines. So mm. I think it was kind of a meta uh, analogy for becoming more enlightened about the reality of a situation. Okay. Yeah, the Google was more or less in line with that. I was just, I wonder where the guy was going. So related, and I think this falls under more decentralized than anything. You mentioned quadratic funding and that it was mm -hmm. complicated. What is yes. quadratic funding? Okay, so again, this is a Keith question, but I will do my <laughs> oh, best. My bad. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, it's actually inverse quadratic uh, funding, and hmm. it's a way to it's a way to compound um, donations uh, using Web three and crypto um, to basically make more of what's there and that really doesn't do it justice and he actually is building it and that's why i don't want to speak out of line um mm. but we do have stuff written about it actually uh, on our website if you look it up and i'm very sorry that i can't <laughs> give you an articulate answer for that right now you know it, it sounds like you take a dollar and you cut it in half and then you somehow add another end to the dollar of both dollars kind of like uh those uh, flatworms that can regenerate that's what it sounds like but i don't think that's what it is probably not but i love the creativity and um i just don't want to do any disservice because it, yeah, it's no, a really special thing and uh keith is the right person to give you some information about it what have you enjoyed over the last i think it's nine months being i think this is your full-time thing you were you went from board to full-time i think you work at a couple other places but i don't know your, i don't pour your cereal as the kids say what have been some of the highs and lows of being in, in your role for less in your tenure? I think it's been about seven months now. Um, I will say I wasn't expecting the, the public figure aspect of it. I wasn't expecting to go speak at conferences in the capacity that I do and that I'm asked to, um, you know, believe it or not, I, I'm all about performing, but I hadn't spoken publicly before um, some of the conferences that you're seeing. 
And so diving in feet first and just, you know, rolling with the punches and giving it my best. Um, it's been a lot of self growth and doing it for a cause, um, that I care about has been a wonderful feeling. The same time things are moving so quickly, so quickly and, um, trying to really recognize the wins and cherish them and be grateful and, and verbal about the, how fortunate I feel to work with the team that I'm working with, because this is not me. This is all of us. And, um, it's also the community. So it's, it's been very surreal to be honest and working with Keith has been incredible. Um, he's a fantastic partner in crime for running an organization. And I think we complement each other with different skill sets and everyone's collaborating. So you're asking me how I'm feeling. And I kind of want to actually answer on behalf of everybody. You know, I spoke to someone from our team today and he's like, look, you know, I love not just the cause, but the fact that we are working together and we're communicating and learning from each other and it makes it fun. And some other people are like, this is the best job I ever had. So it's thank you to everyone who's working on this because that gives us an opportunity to actually contribute and feel fulfilled. Um, and uh, you're asking me, you know, what's my experience been? It's fast. It's a lot to keep up with. I'm lucky I'm really good at multitasking, but um, remember to slow down. Um, it's hard, but it actually streamlines things sometimes. So, so the, the high is the team and the low was working through public speaking. Actually, I enjoy public speaking. After the first okay. five minutes of getting up, I was very nervous. And then all of a sudden it felt like it was the right thing for me to be doing. And I think that you know, people come up to me and they say, you're an amazing public speaker. Have you had media training? I was like, I don't even know what media training is, but um, I'm happy that I can provide a voice and speak um, on behalf of a huge cause and a lot of people that represent it. And I'm honored to do that. And I'm open to feedback and growing just like anybody else. Um, I think the, the low is how quickly things move. Because it's hard to really, you know, sit in the moment and enjoy it and recognize this, the wins. And it's just on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we got to keep up and, you know, the donor's money is depleting. And, and you realize when you're in charge of a, an organization that has 35 people on payroll with multiple teams that uh, span from web development, IT, finance, audits, um, management, operations, marketing, advertising, partnerships, you know, script writing, animation, if I already said it, like it, on and on and on. And you have to trust the people that you're around and you cannot do it alone. And this is, uh, this is a movement. And there's a lot of people behind it that deserve a lot of credit and a lot of thanks. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be the one to call them out. Yeah. You guys know who you are. And it's also everyone else who's listening, who's demonstrating any support and who's actually working on the problem in the, in, in the labs, who's supporting them with funding and with coaching and guidance and network. 
I think one thing I would like to say, Lowell, is that, and, and I've mentioned this in one of my talks, this industry is uniquely altruistic. And I did mention that, you know, we are at risk of, of that changing as things become commercialized, but we're here to raise all boats. If one person or organization wins and discovers something that can actually improve the suffering around age-related diseases, we all win. makes sense the do you uh it sounds extremely fast-paced the which is not a lot of the nonprofits outside of like new harvest you guys and uh sends and a few other ones i can name like most of them are pretty well, i don't know molassesy in terms of their speed is 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 that it feels like this is a like a very like business in terms of going fast and, and being scarce with your time organization. I know it's nonprofit and stuff, but in terms of like the mentality of going in and seizing as much opportunity, that's typically more something I find in business outside of a few outliers and nonprofits. But you're also, you serve on boards and stuff on nonprofits more than me. So you, you, you see the inside of things. I just uh, recently enjoy uh, tax returns and also talking to a bunch of people. So that's how I, I form my, my opinions, but you're you're on the inside. So what what is it, is, is what you're experiencing now typical or is it atypical and how I am perceiving it? Yeah. I think it's atypical. I'm happy to be proven wrong and, you know, I'm not even going to stick to that uh, too stringently, but I do have a business background and I approach things as if I would a business um, because that's what I know. Um, the board asked me to step into this role uh, and I'm doing my my best and my best is fast. I mean, I'm from New York City, born and raised in, you know, the fastest paced location that there might even be. And so I'm used to speaking quickly and being effective and efficient. And I think the biggest thing was when I worked at Singularity University, the core focus is strategy and ideation. And then I told you I worked at a global consultancy where the focus was implementation and execution. And so there's a lot of people that like to talk and talking is amazing and talking prompts so much value but at the same time what's the action what's the output what's the value what's actually changing as a result of that conversation and so making sure that you see the full arc of progress is important to me and also as a nonprofit that is serving an idea you have to show something otherwise what do you how what's the how do you justify asking for support in my opinion and i i that example i'm only applying to myself because that's my personal belief other people other organizations work differently and i respect that the hell out of it but you're asking me for my opinion and i want to see real progress and change and i think you know, it's just the speed that I'm used to, and I'm trying to enable others to be able to move a little bit quicker. Otherwise, what do you have? Molasses and mm -hmm. people are dying yeah. and suffering. There was a molasses explosion in Boston, which seems like a terrible <laughs> anecdote 
<laughs> to tell off of the serious <laughs> note you just had. But there was a, a molasses explosion and several people died from molasses. They like drowned in it. Oh, like God. it was moving really slow, but they couldn't run away from it. Apparently, I think it was in Boston or Philadelphia, one of those East Coast towns. Anyone who knows the answer. But you are right. The It's serious. There's a lot of stuff going on. What are you? So it's a learnable podcast. I'm, I'm very curious to learn what people are learning about. And the cool thing is lots of people listen. So usually there's someone who knows how to uh, figure out what you're working towards. What is an aspect personally that you're working on right now to either better yourself on or is a blue ocean that you're trying to navigate and learn an entirely new skill set? Hmm. I think personal skill set is slowing down. Um, and also to be perfectly honest, you know, because I, when I share answers like this, it's because I wish other people would share similar answers when I was younger and I had asked the question. So a bit of vulnerability here for the sake of, you know, being honest and trying to improve more people's situation than just my own. Um, I think time management is not something that's taught very well. And when you manage an organization that has so many moving parts, so many domain expertise areas and the fundraising and kind of like the leadership aspect and the administrative aspect and the bureaucratic aspect, you have to figure out what your priorities are and continuously shift them. And so keeping your eye on the ball with the the bigger picture and the mission and the time sensitive issues that need to be handled in an orderly fashion. Um, that takes time to build that skill set. So improving that even more um, so we can scale and keep up. And I also think oftentimes organizations fail because they scale too quickly. So making sure I'm paying attention to that as well. Um, and then Blue Ocean. I would love to read as much as I possibly can from everyone I possibly can about everyone's perspective, what's actually happening in the labs. Um, I am not a scientist by trade. Um, but I think I have an ability to advocate for science and knowing a bit more about what's under the hood and being able to speak and convert some of that complex language myself would be a wonderful kind of boil the ocean um, goal for me. Do you just want to know what it's like to be in the lab or do you want to know the science as well? Or, it's not yeah. even just a science. It's a theories behind the science, mm. because a lot of the questions I ask, oftentimes people are just like, you just have to accept that that is reality, like physics, for example. Um, I've had conversations about atoms and the end of the day, the response I get is you just have to accept that this is the case. <laughs> and I'm like, but why? How? So that's just what me. a what. A what about atoms or the actual topic or an actual topic that you're uh, wishing to learn more about? What, yeah, what is, is it like... and why is it and how is it? And the definitions for... just don't seem to be sufficient for me. 
for 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 actual atoms or is there some aspect of the longevity space no just in general it's just a a fun question that i i sometimes ask uh some of my scientist friends we get the whiteboard out and they're like this is what it is and you just have to accept it oh and then you ask why and they say they don't know they just say it's something that we don't know yet yeah and we just have to accept it as true in fact yeah yeah Go ahead. You'd be surprised how quickly uh, scientists and doctors reach a point where they say, I don't know. The, well, you're seeing it a lot, but people listening in, the go ask any scientist three questions. And it can just be a, a smaller version of why each time. And they'll probably hit a wall within the second why. The, and that's not to discount their education, but more how much there is out there to still learn. But one book I was going to recommend to you is called uh, Lab, Lab Girl? Yeah, lab girl, and it's this uh, okay. story. It's behind me. The it's the story of a, a a lady in a lab who's a girl, and she just talks about her life. And every a lot of female scientists who did bench work recommend it. So if it was about Sounds slice great. of life, what their what their life is about, I was gonna recommend that. But it seems like you want to understand the the physics of it all, which I, I don't know if I have a a, a book for that. <laughs> yeah. Are there are there books that you would recommend people check out? It doesn't have to be longevity related. It could just be uh, an interest of your own. I have books behind me, which I don't know if you can see because I'm frozen on your end. But yeah. I, uh, so I read a lot. I'll read everything you recommend, basically. Oof. Well, something that's like easy touch. I think Harvard Business Review actually does a good job with some of its uh, some of their suggestions for management tactics. So that's number one. Um, I think the emperor of all maladies is great and gives you context on not just history but strategy and there are so many things that we're facing today that can uh, seem like a parallel uh, analogy to what the book covers and gives a lot of food for thought and prompts some critical thinking um one that i love from childhood was flowers from algernon flowers for algernon Mm. um and yeah there there's actually lifespan.io has a list of of books uh that we've reviewed i think david sinclair's was a, a recent one and he's on our scientific advisory board as well so if you're interested in longevity, definitely check that out on the website. There's so many resources. It's just hard to even market them all properly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. It's like there's so much going on. That's why like the first third of my questions were like, what, what are you guys focusing on? Because there's just so much. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to do that, especially if you're talking about running fast. It's really hard to do. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're thinking of maybe we, we close some of these programs and resources, but we might as well just leave them up there because they are evergreen. And that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, anyways, I'll pause on that one. But yeah, there's so many I can't even get started. But yeah. I love books that get you to start thinking about what's possible. You might like the book called Stalin by Stephen Kotkin. He talks about Stalin, who did things that no one thought was possible, which is <laughs> create a communist dictatorship out of nowhere. Uh, which actually it's a really great book. I would actually recommend it in a similar vein to what you got from Emperor of All Maladies. I think there's a lot of interesting wisdom in terms of how to communicate because he, he literally created a communist class out of nowhere. Well, uh, there's a lot of like wibbly wobbly there for people who actually know the stories, but it's really interesting. The, do, uh, 
So I'm gonna ask you like it's a it's a it's a it's a thought hypothesis, but I'm just generally curious what your your answer is. So the um there are there was like there was like a person who this is not real, so I'm just like generally curious like how how you'd handle the situation. You're gonna be the judge in the scenario, but so there's three people who killed someone, and one person was nearby, and when the police came, they just picked everyone up. So for some reason, as a judge, you know three people are guilty and one is innocent. But you can only pass one judgment for the four people. So all people get one sentencing. And back then, the sentence for murder was basically you kill someone. Uh, you you hang them. Sorry. Uh, so as the judge, you have to decide how what sentencing you'd give the four of them. And you you don't get any more information. But I'm generally curious, what what sentence do you give the four people, knowing that one is innocent and three are guilty for, for murder? I'm not even sure. I have to ask you to kind of re reframe that for me for a second. So you, you said that there's one person that dies, but three people killed that person. Yeah, one, one person, three people murdered. Well, they did more than that, but I feel like I'm cleaning it up for the Internet. So three people <laughs> murdered a person. One person was nearby when the police came and just they picked up all four people who were nearby. But three people of the four did kill oh, the person, okay. and one did not. And you have to cast sentencing. You don't get to interview them either. I feel like this is a trick question. And I also didn't study law. Um, <laughs> can I turn it around and ask you, what would you do? I'll tell you when uh, you tell me, because I'll bias you. I I've had time to think about this. It's unfair for, yeah, for you to unfair. hear my Yeah, it is unfair. I don't have my it. answer. And I'm not allowed to ask questions or interview anybody. No, all you know, God has whispered it in your ear, some divine being, and it said three of the four are guilty, one is innocent, and you have to cast the thing. Hypothetically, you could set them all free. I don't know. I'll delete the sentence I was about to say. Hypothetically, you could kill them all. Hypothetically, put them all in jail. Hypothetically, you can give them all windmills. I don't know. It's whatever you want to do to them. You're the judge. In the time of Humurabi. I kind of don't want to answer this one. Is that terrible? What? Why would you? What? What is your reason for it? I, I will get something for your answer of that as well. I'll tell you why. Because I don't have enough information, and I don't have enough opportunity to actually approach the hmm. situation the way I would want to. So the decision I'm making is impulsive and not true to my core beliefs either and unfortunately in this specific example what i say could be taken out of context or people can make assumptions about my my true um motives i guess and mm -hmm. uh i think it's just too easy to to be taken out of context and i'm not even sure what my answer is to be honest well, that's fun all right. Uh, you don't yeah, have. Is that, is that sufficient enough? To... Yeah. I, Trust I, I me gain on this one. no matter what you say. <laughs> I gain no matter what you say. <laughs> so the uh, the house always wins with that question. You, you, but so I appreciate you explaining why uh, your answer is the way it is. Um, what is your answer? Uh, I just kill them all. The so the thought. What do you? <laughs> what do you uh, so recently the uh, this is a great transition. Recently, Congressman Gus Billy. I should have read that last name before I wrote this. So Congressman Gus and Congressman Paul of uh, co-chaired and launched a newly formed bipartisan congressional caucus for longevity science. Uh, 
how does lifespan fit into that? I know, I think like the AIG like bunted off of life science or you guys just helped them a little bit in the beginning. I think so. I remember yeah, right. A4LI, Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. I actually yeah. met some people last night and they were calling it the Longevity Alliance, which I need to tell Dylan, um, which is fun. It's run by Dylan Livingston. Um, mm -hmm. Fantastic guy. Uh, lots of a great story. You, you need to interview him for sure. Um, <laughs> and basically, I think it was Keith, uh, Keith Camito, um, you know, our president and founder who was speaking with Dylan. Dylan had this idea and Keith maybe gave some feedback and Dylan kind of took it uh, um, to where it is today, which is absolutely fantastic. And Keith sits on the board. But other than that, you know, we'd like to see ourselves as a sister organization of sorts, but there is no formal connection. Um, but I absolutely support and respect what Dylan is doing and will continue to do so. And uh, I'm really proud of the caucus that he's put together. And um, this mm. is just the beginning. Yeah. So the. Oh, and we're a fiscal sponsor. My bad. Yeah. We're a fiscal okay, yeah sponsor. I was going to ask if there was anything you guys did for yes. them. So fiscal yes. sponsor. Yeah. Yes. The For crowdsourcing in 2022, it was about like 300,000, I think, or more or less, that like crowdsourcing happened on the platform. I don't remember. Uh, is there any intention of the two to three million dollar budget that you're seeking for 2023 to do crowdsourcing or any initiatives around that for grants, et cetera? Or is everything focused on education and outreach in, that, in, in terms of focus? No, actually, so a lot when, when we've been submitting proposals for grants, um, a chunk of the, the proposed budget would be to maintain existing operations. And then a chunk of it is also for additional personnel with specific skill sets uh, to not only increase bandwidth, but to increase scope and our ability to do things. And part of the bandwidth aspect would directly tie into crowdfunding. And we've gotten mm. amazing ideas and suggestions and outreach to be able to actually kick off more of these crowdfunding initiatives, which by the way, have interesting uh, strategies behind them. They're not as um, kind of arbitrary as you think. There's a lot of work that's done on the back end. And that's how our organization started as a crowdfunding platform. That's what Lifespan.io was. It's the crowdfunding platform. We are Lifespan Extension Advocacy Foundation. That's the formal name. Um, but now we just go by Lifespan.io. Uh, so yes, there is a huge push to do much more crowdfunding. Um, but we need the support to be able to actually uh, do it end to end. And there yeah. has been a budget for that requested. Is there a person that you're looking that you're, is there a component of your team that you're still missing that you're looking for? Yes. Um, we're looking for a full-time product manager that mm. has skills and the product would be, lifespan.io and all the programs that has skills to be able to serve as a marketing leader that has uh, an understanding of advertising tactics and metrics data analysis assessment leadership basically someone who wants to come in and lead the media strategy and i and think the other thing is like social media volunteer but beyond that we're really good Mm -hmm. all then uh so the time for the outro which i'm trying to get better on these because the, i used to do like them in post but now i'm doing everything together which is fun the, i just want to thank everyone for staying around for listening to stephanie and i for forgiving my ums 
and for getting excited for the space. If you've listened this far, you're definitely someone who wants to learn more. So links to learn more about Stephanie and Lifespan.io, as well as every other episode in the series will be below. And I just want to really thank Stephanie for taking the time out of her day and for being patient in the beginning and having a really, like, I wish she would have kept the dog. That's my only critique. There was a dog in the room. But Stephanie, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Lowell, you're a rock star. Thank you so much for having me. Your questions were fantastic and thoughtful, and I hope that the audience got something out of this. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from more people and uh, hope to see you again very, very soon.